Welcome back to the Vine Church Podcast. Today, we are continuing our sermon series, Seeing Jesus, exploring the first nine chapters of Luke's Gospel. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Heart, and we'd love to have you join us over there. Let's open our Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 6, and let's, uh, let's come to the living God in prayer as we prepare to hear him speak to us from his word. Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. As you speak to us now from your word, Lord, give us, give us hearts which are receptive, minds to engage, and teach us your truth, we pray. Amen. So we're in Luke 6, verses 43 to 45, uh, carrying on from where Andy left us off last week uh, with the message on uh, judging others and judging ourselves and the measure with which we use and the, the plank in the eye and the speck in the eye, that story. So we're carrying on straight from there into verse 43 to 45, and it says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, or from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So really what we can... uh, see from this is a, is a very quick summing up, is a very simple message that Jesus gives in a parable, that what you see on the outside is just an expression of what's going on in the inside. And at first it seems like this is about how we look at other people, but actually we have to bear in mind this comes straight from what Andy gave us last week, and that message was about being slow to judge others, but being quick to judge ourselves to look for the plank in our own eye before we look for the speck in someone else's. And so it's not as though we go, Jesus is saying, uh, just spend time judging yourself last week. And then this week he goes, oh, and by the way, everyone who you see producing bad fruit, uh, leave them alone. No, there's a, it's, it's a carrying on from that. It's an unpacking that theme. This is increasing our knowledge of what it looks like to have good discernment. And so this is carrying on the theme of discernment and judging. And it's really showing now that judging does have that twofold reference. It's about others and ourselves, discerning who's right to follow and who's right not to follow, and the things that we may or may not be doing which we shouldn't do, to watch others as we watch ourselves. Now, one thing that's important to say right at the beginning is that this analogy of a, of a good tree producing good fruits and a bad tree producing bad fruits is not an analogy that you can just apply to a given context aside from any background. Let me explain what I mean by that. Um, we moved house as a family back in 2012. Uh, I really know nothing about trees or uh, gardens or plants. My dad was an expert. And so we moved in February where there were no fruits on the, on the trees. Now he knew straight away that's an apple tree. I was none the wiser. By summer, I was well aware it was an apple tree. Why? 
because it was filled with apples. So many apples, in fact, that we had to go around the village knocking on doors, asking people to take some apples. The next summer, we had another load of apples. And so over the long haul, we had it affirmed again and again and again, this tree is an apple tree. Now, what, I'm, what I mean by that is, it's not right to just take someone messing up and saying, ah, you only produce bad fruit, you're a bad tree. This is an analogy that applies to the long haul, watching ourselves over the long haul, watching others over the long haul. And as I say, that the message really is quite simple. Actions come from what is within. And so if we apply this analogy in the way that we discern, it informs how we make proper judgments over the long haul. And as I say, there's that twofold reference. So first, let's just think about how this impacts the way we judge others. Well, one thing it does is it puts their mistakes in context. We want to be gracious people. We want to be people who uh, are not, as I say, standing there waiting to condemn. People who we love, people who we look up to, make mistakes. And this is a way that we can put those mistakes in context. What kind of tree are they? And so as we're going along, as we're seeing people make good decisions, make bad decisions, we're not, as I say, simply judging them on that but on what trajectory is their life going on? What trajectory is what they say going in? What do they value? It also helps us to give discernment. It's the exact same thing, but on the other um, side of the coin. If someone is not going a good way constantly, but then does one right thing, we don't go, oh, perfect, well, now I see you're trustworthy. You know, someone who steals, lies, does all the rest, and then, and then manages to, I don't know, have some money left over at the end of the month, we don't go, oh, fantastic, well, I'm going to give you a loan then. It, it, it gives us discernment for people, as I say, in their trajectory, both the good and the bad. Now, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives this same analogy. Probably not the same uh, time, it's probably a separate time that he uses the same analogy. But when he uses it there, he uses it in the context of false teachers. People who are proclaiming uh, the good news of, of Jesus Christ for their own gain, for their own benefit, those who are doing it falsely. And so Jesus uses this analogy there to say, watch their ministry, watch their fruits. There are plenty of false teachers who say good things. You know, a broken clock is right twice a day. But what is the trajectory? What is the gospel that they proclaim? In the same way, I have no doubt that me, Andy, and everyone else who preaches here has said things which are wrong in our sermons. Sometimes we say things which you probably think, yeah, I know that's wrong, and maybe we don't know it's wrong. And maybe some things you're bitter about. Fair enough. But the analogy here is saying, put those mistakes as you watch us as teachers in context. What fruits are being produced? So don't... Um, don't think that a sound teacher who makes a mistake is automatically in the category of a false teacher. But also, don't be fooled by when a false teacher says something that's true. As I say, a broken clock is right twice a day. And so that's kind of uh, the external side of this, the judging others. What trajectory are they going in? But then on the internal side, this is about judging ourselves. You know, 
we like to say things like, oh, but you, know, you don't know my heart, you don't know what's going on inside to other people, but we do know what's going on inside ourselves. And so this is somewhere that we need to be honest with ourselves, examining our consistency. You know, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says to the church in Corinth, examine yourself to see whether or not you are in the faith. Put some time aside, in other words, he's saying to them, and actually think, is the claim that I do claim to be a follower of Christ being matched up with what I value, with what I do, with what I think, with what I say, with what I um, do with my time? Examining our consistency, seeing what fruits am I producing? What does that say about the inside? Jesus says, no good tree produces bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree produce good fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. So what's going on on the inside? Do we have a claim but no fruit? What about something like being in a habit of sin? It's easy to let ourselves off the hook on this one. Ah yes, but I know that I don't want to do it. Well, if it's in a habit, if you are simply going through the motions of, ah, oh, here I go, sinning again, doing something I know is not right, what fruit is being evidenced there? It's easy to say, oh yeah, but God knows my heart. Yes, Jeremiah 17 says that God knows the heart and he knows it's deceitful and wicked. Perhaps maybe you just feel you're lacking in passion for God. That doing quote-unquote Christian things has just become part of the routine. Occasionally we read the Bible, we go to church on Sunday, we go to prayer meetings every now and again. If that's simply fruit not coming from a tree, then as Jesus says, uh, figs are not gathered from thorn bushes. That's not a fruit that's what God is looking for. That's not what pleases God. Is there a passion for God? Is there a passion for speaking the truth of God to those who don't know him? I remember a few years ago speaking to quite a prominent evangelist in, uh, in the UK, and it was for one of my projects in my degree. And, and I asked him this question because he does evangelism training. What is the most effective way to teach people to become evangelists? And I was thinking he was going to give me a, a good kind of nugget on method. You know, there's like a one-liner that you go up to people and ask. And he said, there is no method for evangelism. And he, he kind of left a silence as though I was supposed to go, Okay, and so of course I bit and I went, okay. And he said, simply, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When he goes round and does evangelism courses, he doesn't teach people how to evangelize. He reminds them what the evangel, what the gospel is. Everyone knows how to share good news. If you get a discount on something that you've been wanting for a while, you know how to go up to people and say, listen, what happened to me this week? We all know how to share things which are good to us. We all know how that from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so do we have passion? Do we have the overflow of the heart? Is it overflowing with joy with the good news of Jesus Christ? Now, the application here is then obvious because you can't change an apple tree to a pear tree. You can't change a thorn bush to an apple tree, but God can. And so the application here, as I say, has to stare us in the face. Seek God. 
If you're aware of these things in your heart, if you're aware of a lacking in zeal or a habit of sin, ask God to change your heart, to change you from the inside out, to change your desires and passions to be in accordance with his will, that you would rejoice in the things that please God, not make them a routine, but find joy in them. So what is external is merely an expression of what is internal. How we judge others and how we judge ourselves have to be informed by that. But this also speaks more deeply about both the problem and the solution that we find in the Bible. The problem being sin. Now what we find here in this analogy is that sins don't just come about on their own. We're not neutral beings who sometimes sin, we are sinners. Sins come as an expression of our sinful nature. We don't get called sinners because sometimes we sin, we sin because at root we are sinners. Now, Jesus isn't saying here that, you know, there's this concept of um, thought crimes, that God's going to catch you out on thinking the wrong thing. Rather, all that's being said here is that there is a continuity, there is a, a flowing progression from what is inside to what is expressed on the outside. You know, we have to bear in mind, sin isn't just bad things that we do. Sin is any thought, deed, or word that is counter to God's perfect standard of justice, that is against God's holy law. And this is what Jesus himself says. Jesus says, you read this commandment about adultery, and you say, well, I've never slept with any other woman except my wife. And so you think that, oh, it's fine, I keep that commandment. But Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've broken that commandment. Now, Jesus isn't saying, oh yeah, Moses was fine with yeah, you going out and you know, lusting over people and doing everything up to adultery. Yeah, he was fine with that, but I'm not. What he's saying is, if God's against the action, then he is opposed to what leads to the action. Jesus says, if you hate your brother, you've murdered him. Why? Because hate is the first step to murder. You don't go from being neutral to someone to then being murder, to, to murdering them. In the same way, think about idolatry. Idolatry as a, as a sin, as turning away from God and worshipping false gods, it starts in the heart. It starts as an affection thing. It starts with the God as he reveals himself, wanting to be worshipped the way that he does, doesn't quite do it for me. It starts as an affection. I want something else. It moves to the head. This is what my God would look like if I could make a God. And then it ends up working out either through the mouth or the hands as we express and worship a God that is not the God revealed in Scripture. It's exactly what happened to the Israelites when they built the golden calf. When Moses comes down, which God do they say they're worshipping? They say, we're worshipping Yahweh. We're worshipping the God that took us out of Egypt. But this is how we want to do it, through a golden calf. Starts in the heart, moves to the head, works out through the hands. Think about blasphemy. I'm always struck by how the third commandment in Exodus 20 says, uh, you shall not blaspheme, or you shall not use the, the name of the Lord in vain. And then it adds on that, that tag, the one who uses the name of the Lord in vain, God will not hold him guiltless. Something that happens in our culture all the time. 
Why does God attach that addition? He will not hold him guiltless. Because our words are an expression of what is from the head, from the heart. You cannot use the name of the Lord as though it's an empty thing unless somewhere at root you think that the Lord is an empty thing. People say, oh, it's just a word. It's fine. It's just a phrase. (laughs) Try telling your wife she's fat and then say, it's just words. It's just a phrase. No, these things start in the heart. They move to the head. The Lord will not hold that person guiltless because they have treated God as though he were empty. That is the flow of sin. The affections to the intellect to action. Heart, head, hands. And so if that's the root of sin, if that's what sin looks like, if it's that deep an issue, what does that then tell us about the gospel, about the good news of Jesus Christ, about the fact that God has entered into his creation to save his people and transform them? It tells us that the gospel, the good news, cannot be, now do this. You've been doing this all along, and now I'm telling you to go and do this differently. Jesus does not come as a behavior manager. He does not come to tell you how to have a different lifestyle. He comes as a heart surgeon. To go to the root of the issue, to take out the rotten stone heart, as as Ezekiel 36 calls it, and to replace it with something new. Once that change has happened, then it starts to flow out from there. That's when the change can begin. Jesus does not come to staple apples onto thorn bushes. He comes to transform at root. And so the the good news for everyone who isn't a Christian is that the message to you is not, now do this. It's not, you've been doing this wrong, now stop doing that or stop doing this. The message is this, God has come and offered change at the root through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that those in unbelief are dead. Through the power of God's Holy Spirit, they are then made alive. I often think that we don't see the miracle of salvation for what it is, a miracle. If you walk into a morgue, you cannot convince dead bodies to come to life. And yet somehow we think that we can convince those who uh, who aren't believers to become believers. That is a miracle that the Holy Spirit works. God comes to change us from the inside. But the message for us who do know and love the Lord is God has changed you from the inside. How different does that change look on the outside? What fruits are you producing? And so really that leads us to the conclusion that the only thing that we can bring to God, if the gospel is a root change, the only thing that we can bring is faith. We don't have anything else to show. We can't say, Lord, here are my fruits. He says, you are a thorn bush. You have no fruits to offer. But if we come in faith, he will change us. The order must be first the change, then the fruits. The outside tells the in. But more than just referring to kind of individuals and how we assess ourselves and others and how the gospel transforms us, this 
parable, this analogy, also works not just to assess individuals, but worldviews, beliefs, whole systems of thought, not just people, but the things that they and many others believe in. I love, I love the way that uh, Colossians 1 verse 6 is rendered in the New Living Translation. It's, it's such a perfect way of doing that the, that the good news is bearing fruits by changing lives. Such a good way of putting it. It's not that necessarily, it's not focusing on the fact that people are bearing fruits, but on the message itself is bearing fruits. Now, the, the point I want to make here is that the Christian worldview testifies to the fact that it, no, the, the fruits of the Christian worldview rather, testify to the fact that it is a good tree. Now, the problem that we have is that the world, or at least our culture, enjoys the fruits but hates the tree. If you do a scan of all human history, all human civilizations, things which we take for granted are foreign to them. Slavery. No human being can be owned by another human being. Oh, well, everyone thinks that, right? No. Women are equally valuable as men. Well, everyone thinks that. No. Laws should apply to kings, queens, prime ministers, politicians, and peasants alike. Where does that come from? The Christian worldview. To give you a little taste of the world that the church was born into, one of the principal ministries of the church in the first and second centuries in the Roman world was Christians would go out onto the streets at night to pick up all of the babies which had been left to die. You might be thinking, oh, surely there's only one or two. No, hundreds. If a parent wasn't happy with the child, what do we do with it? We take it outside and we leave it to the world to die. And the Christians came along and said, no, that child, is made in the image of God. We're once again at a point where people can look at a human child and treat it as something to be discarded. <laughs> what does God say? They are made in my image. The tree has started to become neglected. And so the fruits are starting to rot. But an effective church doesn't just enjoy the fruit. It cultivates the tree. It was once possible to say, well, everyone knows that's wrong. Everyone knows that X is wrong. Not so anymore. There is a danger that if we lose the link between the tree and the fruit, that we will think that the fruit just carries on by itself. That's not how it happens. Once the link is lost, the tree seems irrelevant. 
Once it seems irrelevant, it becomes neglected. And once it's neglected, it only takes a few generations before there is no more fruit to enjoy. Think back to the apple tree that was in my garden. If in December, say, we decide, well, there's no fruits on the tree, let's cut it down in summer. Why are there no new fruits? But the other thing to bear in mind is that radical events cause radical responses. Right? And, and the actually, actually, those responses cannot stand without their foundation. So, for instance, think about this. Uh, December 2019, Boris Johnson had a, a landslide victory. If his campaign promise was, and once we're in power, everyone will be wearing masks when they go to the shop, no one would have voted for him. However, when a global pandemic started, a radical event, the mask wearing didn't seem that much of a radical response. It's funny, I was standing in a shop last week, looking around at everyone wearing masks, thinking about uh, in 10 years' time when the coronavirus is long gone, but we just forgot to kind of take that uh, away. Everyone still wears masks in shops. And I say to Evangeline, you know, there was once a time where we didn't wear masks in shops. Really? Well, where did the change happen? Well, there was this virus. Is it still around? No. Why do we still wear the masks? Uh, we, we just do. It's, it's, it's a radical response. It can't be held without something radical holding it up. In the same way, the Christian worldview is a radical message. It's a message about uh, the whys and the whats of humanity as a whole. And so its responses to various issues are radical. And the danger is if we see these radical responses as normal, as I say, we stop seeing the importance of the tree. I was thinking, for instance, as I was preparing this, how racism, for instance, today is being, you know, the issue is being brought to the forefront again. It's uh, causing uh, disagreements and debates and riots, this, this issue, and it is an evil of racism. But let's not get it into our head that this is the first time in human history that we've had to deal with it. Again, let's think about the world that the church was born into. Racial division wasn't just an evil in society, it was part of the makeup of society. It was seen as good. Jews were separated from Gentiles, even among the Romans. There's splits this way, that way, and this way. I think, for instance, of um, the Scythians, the Scythian clan, and the barbarians. Barbarian was a kind of generic term for anyone who wasn't a Greek, but in the city of Colossae, one generation previously, or two generations previously, sorry, Scythians and barbarians had been raping and pillaging each other's land. The scars that that brings There is no more Jew nor Gentile, Scythian nor Barbarian, female or male. You are all one in Christ Jesus. What could bring together Jew, Gentile, Scythian, Barbarian, female, male, all the great divisions of society? How about this for a fact? God 
and I was staggered just as we sung the song last week that said the God of ages who stepped in to wear my shame. Let's just, let's just go back to the beginning here. When people say I don't believe in God, what they're normally saying is I don't believe that there is this all-powerful, all-knowing creator who is in charge of everything and does everything. As Christians, we say I do believe in that being, but then one step further we say and also I believe that that all-knowing, all-powerful, out there in charge of everything came into this creation as a person for us. To create a new humanity in his image. So why can we say that there is no Jew or Gentile, female or male, Scythian or barbarian and everything else on that list? Because God himself has been pleased to bring all of those people in to himself as one new humanity. That is a radical event that leads to a radical response. If we miss that link and think, oh, it's good that racism was dealt with. What are we doing to future generations? What are we doing to our own worldview? What are we doing when we say the things that we believe, which are insane, are just normal? If we want to see that amazing fruit bless this world, as Revelation says it will, then we have to be cultivating that tree. Good trees, and it is a blimmin' good tree, produce good fruit. So that is our challenge. We are called to be fruitful trees bearing fruit that work from a changed heart to cultivate the tree of the gospel, to share its fruit with a sinful, hurting, dying world, to bring life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are king. Teach us to rest in that. Teach us to put our armor in light of that. Teach us to fight in full confidence of that. Teach us to examine our own lives in light of that. Teach us, Lord, to cut off branches which don't belong in light of that. Lord, we pray that you would make your people, your church, good trees producing good fruit. Lord, we pray that the good tree of the gospel would continue to grow and find roots in this world, in this country, in this town. Lord, that is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.